The government wants to soak up the tax that's leaking out of online commercial activity. Digital downloads and services are first in line to be hit with GST, and next to be tackled are lower-value goods bought over the internet. This insight explores if it's possible to come up with a simple solution that doesn't cost more than the tax collected. Gentlemen, this op will take you deep into entertainment territory. Chances of success? Well, it's Netflix, old chap. So we'll encounter thousands of films and TV episodes instantly over the internet. Afraid so, yes. It may be nicknamed the Netflix tax, but the first stage of the government's plans to extend GST to online trading will also include services, along with e-books, music, and videos. For the Revenue Minister Todd McClay, it's all about creating a level playing field, with a nod to the well-being of the government's coffers. We do view it as a fairness issue. It's about putting New Zealand businesses and New Zealand jobs ahead of overseas retailers selling into our market. But we also say that we see that e-commerce is increasing, and from a fairness point of view, if we don't find a way to make sure that GST covers this trade, because it does for any sale in New Zealand, then at some point we might have to consider increasing tax rates. GST rates in New Zealand. Submissions on the first discussion document close on Friday. The next stage will contemplate how GST can be applied to the millions of items of low-value goods that are bought over the internet. The government will continue to collect ideas until later in the year. But how easy is it to tax the digital economy? I'm Philip Atali and this insight explores the pressures to act and the potential pitfalls in extending New Zealand's broad-based tax system to the internet. So it's that time of year, it's getting close to a change of season, summer's almost on us and it's also Christmas time, not too far away. So, time to pop online and see what might be on there to purchase. Todd McClay says New Zealand has waited to deal with this aspect of taxation until it had been well tested overseas, at least when it comes to downloads. We're not an outlier, we're not ahead of the pack here. There are about 12 other jurisdictions, more than 30 countries, because the 28 countries of the European Union already have something in place that's working very, very well. So, you know, we're doing our bit and we're, we're sort of following along with other countries. Uh, I've said to Cabinet uh, and the government agrees, we're only going to put something in place where we believe it's going to work. But in the taxation landscape, consumption tax, or GST, is a late arrival. Income tax was introduced into Great Britain by the Prime Minister, William Pitt the Younger, in 1789 to finance the struggle against Napoleonic France. Consumption taxes were brought in from the middle of last century, but the OECD has been working only since 2006 to make sure there are no double taxation issues when it comes to GST. David White works in the Business School of Victoria University and is a specialist in consumption tax. He thinks the government has been sensible to wait while the rules have been sorted out. You don't want to be the first cab off the rank, tiny country, for services, there needs to be agreement as to who has jurisdiction to tax before you can work up some rules to make sure there's only one level of tax. You've got to have commonly agreed rules and then put them into national legislation. And nowadays with the internet, we don't just trade with familiar jurisdictions that speak the same language, that where we have a lot of uh, interconnections. The moment a business sets up a website, just a small New Zealand enterprise. The moment it sets up a website, it's an international trader with everybody. But despite the careful approach, there is likely to be some resistance. 
There may be a general sense that everyone should be paying their fair share of taxation, but that may be accompanied by resentment about rules and restrictions being placed on web activity. The creator of the World Wide Web, Sir Timothy Berners-Lee, said when he invented it, he didn't have to ask anyone's permission. Now, hundreds of millions of people are using it freely. Democracy depends on freedom of speech. Freedom of connection with any application to any party is the fundamental social basis of the internet, and now the society based on it. Hayden Green is a technology writer for Consumer Magazine. He's written extensively about online purchasing, streaming and downloading. Over a cup of coffee, he says he has sympathy for the level playing field argument, but says from the consumer's point of view, it's a change to the way people have operated happily for years. It does feel bad in that we're, we're going online to buy these things generally because they're cheaper than what we can get in a normal shop or they're cheaper than what we can get um, from local producers or providers. So that's why people have been going online for so long. And, and to then suddenly say, like, oh, we're going to increase the price on it, does seem, seem a little bit on the nose. Is it going to make a huge difference to prices, though, do you think? Because initially, you know, we're talking about probably the very large providers are the ones that are going to be caught up. Are they going to pass on all of that GST? Yeah, no. Companies like Netflix maybe even the iTunes store, they're going to absorb a lot of that cost straight away because they don't want to just suddenly slap on 15%. You see this massive price rise. Tax avoidance has been a perennial ever since levies were introduced. But given the agile and fast-changing nature of the digital world, getting around GST online could be even more likely. People have legitimately been using methods such as virtual private networks or VPNs to add security and privacy to public networks but they can also be used to hide where a buyer is based, as Hayden Green explains. So it's, it's going to be easier for the digital services. The government can approach Amazon, iTunes, whoever, and say, look, purchases from New Zealand add a 15% um, GST. That, that seems simple. But uh, what if you're running a, a VPN? And when you connect to the internet, you go through this VPN, and it makes it look like you're from another country. And when you get to the website, the website thinks you're coming from the United States or the UK or wherever. So if, if you're doing that, and there's like a bunch of very legitimate reasons why people use VPNs, a lot of like it's a big privacy thing as well. So you show up to Amazon, for example, and Amazon goes like, oh, you're from the US, you're not from New Zealand. No, we're not going to charge you that GST. Hayden Green also fears it may put some smaller online providers off being involved in the New Zealand market. Quite a few video and music streaming services online and not all of them are, are the big players. I mean, uh, and if someone has a brand new startup or a brand new um, system like Tidal shows up, the famous Jay-Z's new music service, then <laughs> are they going to make sure that, oh yeah, we've got to make sure that we're GST registered in all these countries or are they just going to go, you know what, if we have to be GST registered in New Zealand, let's not bother with New Zealand for a, for a really long time. The minister is confident that even if prices go up, purchasers will hardly notice a change. But there are questions over how much business a company needs to do before GST requirements kick in. Within New Zealand, it's $60,000. So $60,000 worth of trade you have to register for GST. So we haven't decided where that threshold should be. Uh, we've given two examples. One is a lower threshold of $10,000. In South Africa, they've, they've put a low threshold in of just $6,000 uh, uh, for registration. Other countries have higher. In, uh, in Switzerland, it's $150,000. 
a year of trade before you register. So we're asking uh, the consumers and the tax-paying uh, profession what they think of this. One of the things that will be very important is making sure that there's not too much compliance. So an example of this would be somebody that sells a one-off service to, to New Zealand at $10,000. Should we expect them to register and collect GST, maybe if they have no more trade with New Zealand? Well, the compliance cost on that one transaction would be too high. The consultation paper refers to systems operating well in a number of other countries. But David White says even though the EU has been requiring GST to be paid on download since 2003, he can find very little data giving facts and figures about its success. He discovered one report by a large accounting firm and another by a European academic. As you would expect, the real difficulty is these offshore suppliers identifying someone as being a New Zealand customer. We have so many technical ways, using technology, VPN networks and things, to disguise where we live, whether we're a New Zealand resident. And that has been the real Achilles heel, and that's still an issue in Europe. The research that I could find for you is qualitative. It's not quantitative. So the officials in these countries who have introduced these offshore registration schemes say that there is some success, but there are no statistics, they're not published. Uh, typically, revenue agencies uh, report to their parliaments, and there aren't any published surveys in reports in Europe or Norway or South Africa that give us a clear picture. So potential benefits, but also challenges with GST and online services and downloads. How much of a struggle would it be then to come up with an effective and workable system to gather more GST on the millions of items ordered on phones, laptops and PCs up and down the country? What do you want to do today? What do you want to be? Think quick. Do you want to look the business? Do you want a business-looking suit? Do you want to buy it online for the big board meeting tonight? At present, GST is due on items that are worth $400, although that threshold can vary depending on what the goods are. Australia has recently announced plans to do away with a threshold altogether, so everything would be taxed. Three weeks ago, the Treasurer at the time, Joe Hockey, announced that from July 2017, the $1,000 threshold before tax would be removed and overseas retailers would be required to collect the GST. I mean, these are integrity measures. We have to deal with integrity measures. If there's leakage out of the GST, it is our responsibility, with a unanimous agreement of the states and territories, to, to plug the hole. I mean, it's this, unquestionably... Uh, the low-value threshold has had a negative impact on Australian jobs and Australian businesses. So you would expect us to properly react, and we are. Back here, there's no clear idea about which is the best way to proceed without incurring more costs than the tax collected or delaying the flow of goods. About 48 million letters and 13 million parcels come across the border each year. Many of the packages are sorted and assessed for any duties or taxes owing at the Auckland International Mail Centre. What the postal um, officers are doing at the belt, once they get it moving, is actually checking for the declared value on the package. When they see one that's over a threshold, they'll mark it and they'll send it further down the conveyor belt where a customs officer will take it away. But as the manager of service delivery at Customs, Richard Barge, explains, the problem is the relative lack of information about each parcel. For New Zealand Post, for example, 
they often don't know that the goods are arriving until they physically arrive in the mail, international mail centre or in the country. And until they look at the front of the package, they aren't able to give us that information about what the goods are, who they're going to, what their value is, and so on. So given the numbers, um, there's a large amount of transactions, um, 48 million mail items, 13 million packages. You know, we almost have to physically, under current systems, physically assess every single package if we drop the threshold. Um, at the moment, all we have to do is go, they're below the threshold or they're over it, they go in one pile or they go straight through. If there's a tax collection point which is dropped, we've got to assess what the goods are, where they're from, who they're going to, all those different points, um, and get much more detail about the shipment. And it's not just a question of time, but also cost. The GST partner at consulting firm PwC, Algon Trombetas, has worked out some figures based on 12 million parcels each year. If you think of a motorway, that's a lot of cars, right? So if we have to process those 12 million cars, the question is how are we going to do it in the most efficient way? And we, we're told by customs that it takes about 20 minutes, um, or 20 to 30 minutes, but make it 20 minutes for argument's sake, to process those parcels. So that 12 million equates to something like 4 million hours, and you would need um, about another 2,000 extra workers, they would need office premises. Um, where you get to is that even on the minimum wage and not factoring into any new premises costs etc, you're talking about $60 million of annual cost to collect um, say $140 million, which is in the discussion document, but that, that figure is probably higher. So that's the challenge. The Retailers Association has lobbied hard for an expansion of GST in regard to lower-value goods bought via the internet. Its chief executive, Mark Johnston, argues that if big retailers are registering to collect GST for digital downloads and services, they should do the same for goods purchased online. We understand that it can be more difficult with smaller companies who are maybe not sending goods on a regular basis to New Zealand. Hence the reason you'd still have to collect some tax at the border uh, through the current customs system in terms of duty and tax. But certainly in terms of the, the biggest uh, online retailers around the world, you know, if you take the top five, Amazon, eBay, uh, ASOS, who increasingly are shipping here, Book Depository and Alibaba through AliExpress, you'd be collecting a huge portion of the, the tax take that we estimate the government's missing out on $250, $300 million a year of GST. Um, online shopping's growing. Um, this year we'll probably see something like $5 billion worth of online shopping uh, completed here in New Zealand and at least 40% of that online shopping is from offshore retailers who are not currently paying GST. So there's a big hole in the government's tax take and we think they should be administering that tax um, system in terms of GST across both digital services and small value goods too. Ideally Mark Johnson would like to see New Zealand follow Australia's lead and drop the GST threshold down to zero. So Australia has been moving very quickly recently. Their threshold of $1,000 has been the highest in the world, so more than double hours at $400 currently. Uh, we thought that they'd probably go to somewhere between $25 and $100, but obviously the treasurers, state by state uh, and territory by territory around Australia have decided to, um, to go to zero. That's a big step from 2017. From our point of view, be great if we were aligned with Australia, given they're our nearest neighbours and one of our biggest trading partners. 
The reality is that in other markets, in the UK, it's £15, the threshold, which is about $35 at current exchange rates. In Canada, it's 20 Canadian dollars. So, you know, we'd love to see zero. $25 may be more realistic in terms of the threshold that we head towards. But there are a few expressing caution about possible unintended consequences. The move looks good from the retailer's perspective, but as Victoria University's David White points out, there are downsides. These GST rules also have an impact on producers, on New Zealand producers, who are using intermediate products that they're importing from overseas, putting them into into a product, assembling them here in New Zealand, and then exporting them again. And so... Any moves by the New Zealand government to, that, that have the effect of slowing down uh, consignments coming into the country are going to force New Zealand producers to carry larger inventories, which adds cost to their business uh, that they will then need to recover and may make them not competitive um, overseas. For many businesses and manufacturers, time is of the essence and any delays to assess GST would cost money. The Chief Executive of the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce, Peter Townsend, says speed is vital. Our distribution systems now have become so efficient that you can order something online from anywhere in the world and you'll get it within two or three days. I mean, it's a phenomenon. And he advocates for simplicity. Don't get down to the last tin tech because if you get down to the last tin tech you might get into a counterproductive situation where things become absolutely so complicated for people doing business in New Zealand that it stymies business growth. The other thing we would say is that this GST thing is important uh, but it's just part of what government needs to do to support local businesses. It's just part of creating an environment that is conducive to business success. A whole lot of other stuff that needs to go on as well so let's just not get completely subsumed in the GST issue. Important that is. For customs, Richard Barge, GST for online purchases is a small part of overall revenue collection, but still important. In the context of the revenue collection that customs collects, I mean, we collect 45 to 50 billion dollars worth of GST a year, and we do that very efficiently. Um, and we collect that off, you know, as I said before, our major commercial importers. So it is a small proportion of our total revenue base. But it is important to look at the issue and ensure that um, we are creating a consistent level playing field for all people who are trying to sell, make a living, buy things, etc. Are you a butcher, cookie baker, scented candle maker? While Customs and New Zealand Post are both involved in exploring possible systems, neither wanted to speak about the ideas on the table. Richard Barge described the planning as still under development. We're at the very early days of looking at different options. No one internationally has found a way to do this cheaply. Um, Some countries obviously have a lower threshold but the way they operate is quite manually intensive, uh, quite manual system still and obviously we want to find a way that we can do it cheaply and better and more effectively. Fine chocolates, fresh oysters. While Australia has opted to place all the responsibility for collecting GST on goods and services purchased online in the hands of overseas retailers, Algen Trombitos says earlier work there backed a wider approach. The recommendations actually coming out of that um, work, which actually the government at the time in Australia accepted would be worked through, is that the best solution is a combination of all the stakeholders collecting a little bit so you have post, couriers and customs doing their bit through a a more enhanced and efficient um, systems, collecting a bit more of the GST and the duties at the border. You could also have um, 
give the um, individuals an ability to prepay um, or set up an account prepaid and then allow them to um, effectively import all they like up to the value of their account and um, post the sort of go down that uh, path in New Zealand with the um, U-Shop concept, which I think is a really good concept. And then finally, you would effectively bring in the final option, which is the offshore seller registration option, not as a single uh, option, but as part of a suite of options. And so all of those options together are drawing on the best in other countries, making it work for New Zealand, because it's the World Cup, and it's the concept of pushing together in the scrum to get that momentum going, rather than having one person, think of Richie McCaw, if he had to push the scrum by himself, this is what effectively Australia is trying to do with the offshore seller registration. That's why we're not sure if it's um, going to be the best. I mean, time will tell. It could, it could be the eureka, brilliant solution that everyone's been looking for. But I think the reality is that New Zealand will um, bring in a combination of options. But to carry on with the rugby analogy, does the pack need to be formed from a group stretching wider than players from New Zealand? online tax policies announced in Australia will influence the direction New Zealand takes is a pressing question. Will there be pressure to join forces in some sort of geographical tax zone? Algon Trombetis believes it's a concept worth exploring. Our clients, the corporates, so if you think of the west coast of the US and that's where many of them are, they are saying, well wouldn't it be nice to have consistent and simple rules across not just Australia and New Zealand but across um, the Asia-Pac region. And so if we look at who else is bringing in these rules, if we look at Japan and um, South Korea, now our clients are actually saying, well, if you had a, a mini one-stop shop for Asia-Pac, that's actually good from a business point of view. Now, this is the other complication here. The challenge is the sort of the piece around international sovereignty and how would governments um, share in that revenue. I mean, could New Zealand collect the tax for Australia, Japan and South Korea? I mean, we've never really been there before and it's a big proposition, and then you get into, well, could you scale that down and have a mini one-stop trans-Tasman shop, just Australia and New Zealand? It's not impossible. Um, perhaps the officials need to think about that. A little less convinced such a concept could fly as Peter Townsend of the Canterbury Employers' Chamber of Commerce. For him, the countries are just too different, with varying economic strengths, and ultimately it would be just too difficult. Well, I think it's good to work together where we can in the, in the um, Pacific region, and, and particularly with Australia, and CR is very good evidence of that. But I don't think we're ever going to get to the stage where we get conformity right across our countries and our economies with respect to tax treatment any more than we will get conformity with regard to our currencies. It's just, it's just a bridge too far. And another sort of regional pressure is coming from economic forums such as the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum, or APEC. Victoria University's David White says they too would like consistency, but of a different sort. In APEC, there's a move to try and get uh, uniform thresholds through the whole of the Asia-Pacific region and to increase the thresholds. One proposal was to have a $200 one that would involve New Zealand coming down if we were to unify on that, but many others who have zero or very low thresholds would have had to have increased them. One of the difficulties in terms of trade is that these thresholds can be, in reality, trade barriers. Countries don't want 
foreign goods to compete with domestic producers. So one way to do it is to set up very difficult customs procedures. And that's why trade officials negotiating APEC are moving in the opposite direction to retailers. But it's not just online consumption tax where opinions differ. Some companies facing competition from overseas want the playing field levelled when it comes to paying tax on profits earned in New Zealand. Previously, the chief executive of Spark, Simon Muta, has spoken of the advantages for companies operating in New Zealand, such as Netflix, not having to pay corporate tax. Both Spark's on-demand TV service Lightbox or Sky TV's Neon do pay such taxes. Overseas, there's been a growing practice of naming and shaming global firms such as Google and Amazon that have come under fire for tax avoidance. In the MP's firing line are three American multinationals, Google, Starbucks and Amazon, with big sales in the UK who don't seem to pay much tax. Their first target was Starbucks. It's been accused of telling investors it was doing well in the UK, but reporting losses so hardly any corporation tax was due. So does this move to impose GST on downloads, services and lower-cost goods bought over the internet amount to merely tinkering at the edges? Todd McClay says it's still a significant amount of tax. $40 million is a new school, $40 million is a whole lot of hip operations and, and actually the overall problem is about $180 million a year. If you think what New Zealand's gone through over the last six or seven years of recession, the global financial crisis, $180 million is a lot of fairness in the tax system. But he also acknowledges the problem of profit shifting. He says it's a complex area and while it's tempting to push ahead, especially for those corporations operating mainly in the digital world, Poorly thought out decisions could have negative consequences for New Zealand industry. New Zealand is a trading nation. We sell a lot of things overseas. So take take uh, dairy production, uh, you know, as an example. We sell a lot to China. Actually, that dairy is produced in New Zealand, and most of the value is here. It's very important we have equal rules so that the majority of the taxation of all of the manufacturing of butter or milk powder. Uh, remains in New Zealand, not in China, and the reason for that is that is because that's where most of the economic activity is. That said, Todd McClay says the area needs to be tackled and points to work being done by the OECD that is due out later this year. It's important that multinationals pay their fair share of tax in jurisdictions where they earn income. Uh, New Zealand is one of those jurisdictions. I think they're starting to see there is an international change around tax law. My advice to them is New Zealand's a good place to pay tax. Come down here and make sure they're paying their fair share. Elgin Trombetis is confident the relatively small moves in regard to GST do have a wider impact and predicts changes. If you do the little things right and if you get the GST policy right, you'll be amazed at how important this issue is to corporate psyche and thinking. So what we're hearing is that this notion of foreign sellers having to pay tax in other countries, it's a boardroom discussion concept. So if you take GST and they're saying, OK, we've got a new obligation in New Zealand from next year, we will pay it because it goes to the reputational issues and we're used to paying it in the likes of Europe and South Africa and other countries and so on and so forth, but not Australia because I think we'll... We may beat Australia to the punch. So corporates are already thinking around their tax obligations. And yes, we're talking about GST, but I think it builds nicely into the bigger picture, which you've rightly alluded to. And so I think the puzzle all of a sudden starts becoming clearer. And maybe you can't have one massive big tax change or a supernova that overnight changes everything. It's probably going to take a bunch of changes and a bunch of reform over time that gets us to that 
next happy place in the tax world. Would that be popcorn, sir? Possibly, Sergeant, yes. But we must face it, salted or sweet. Damn it, you make your country proud. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts on this programme or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Dan Beaven.